0: I'm Dr. Susan Eyrick, and welcome to Earthfire Radio. Earthfire Institute is a wildlife sanctuary and rehabilitation center whose mission is to change how people see and therefore treat wildlife and nature. to Cara Gubbins as a scientist, intuitive, and global thought leader for a new way for people and animals to live together in harmony. She is the best-selling and award-winning author of five books about the natural history of animals, the wisdom of animals, and personal and spiritual growth. For nearly a decade, she has been a successful animal communicator, connecting people more deeply to the animals they love most. Twice a year, she hosts online summits bringing together experts from all over the world to share their wisdom on animal communication and healing, conservation, spiritual growth and evolution. Tara's mission is to inspire our global community to live the lives they're here to live by connecting with animals, nature and spirit, saying yes to themselves and their dreams and remembering that there's always time to play. Dr. Gubbins recently interviewed me for her Animal Wisdom World Summit online. The conversation was good, and I wanted to share it with you. Learn more about her work at drcaragubbins.com. Welcome,
1: Susan. Thank you. I I want to go to the Grand Tetons. Like, as soon as I said those words, I was like, oh, yes. (laughs) So nice. It must be just like stunningly beautiful where you live. It is. That's awesome. So you have brought to your life um, what a lot of people consider to be opposite ends of the spectrum, but you've combined them into a spiritual psychologist, a spiritual ecologist, and conservationist. Yes, true too. I'm the spiritual psychologist, (laughs) that's me. No, you're the spiritual ecologist and conservationist. Can you tell us the story of how you came to become who you are today?
0: That's always a question of how far back do you go? Um, Were you born with something? I remember loving animals ever since I could remember thinking. And I remember arguing with my mother, not that she was against it, but I was a very little girl, why animals didn't have equal rights to humans. It just didn't make sense to me right from the beginning. But life being what it was and parental pressure being what it was, I went to school for a degree in biology and then psychology, which I really loved. I worked in the prisons and really loved it. But then someone invited me to help them raise some wolf puppies. And what are you going to do? You going to say no? (laughs) No. So I did, and what happened was I fell completely, totally, hopelessly in love, uncontrollably in love. Someone who I don't have any physical human children of my own, and the animals aren't my children in my mind; they're my equals and companions. But when someone saw me with those wolf puppies, they said, "You know what happened to you, Susan? Motherhood." And I could swear what was happening was the oxytocin was flowing in me. I swear it was. And I, must, I just was so bonded to these exquisite, vibrant beings. And when you got, there were seven of them. And they got ill and you had to, they nearly died. And they required round-the-clock intravenous liquids and all kinds of things. And the bonding was so tight that there was a connection made through which something flowed. And I said, I can't just keep this for myself. This is something I have to share with other people. The beauty of who these animals are, the beauty of what's possible between a human and a wild animal. Um, Not that everybody has this opportunity, but it means that the potential that is there in any animal, whether they're wild, wild, wild or not, the potential is there. That's one of the things I really want to teach is, and teach is an arrogant word, um, that I want to share with people. That any time uh, wild animals killed, it's not just a bear or a wolf. It's a being with all that potential. Anyway, I couldn't stand it. I had to share it with other people. And uh, one of those wolves was called Earthfire. So she was, they were all founding wolves. But she in particular became the uh, founding wolf of Earthfire. And then I discovered that it wasn't just wolves. It was bears that I fell in love with, or coyotes, or foxes, or cougars. And it made really no difference ultimately. It made no difference in the end. And when people ask me, what's your favorite animal? My answer is, whichever one I'm with. Because you enter into this magic world of a coyote, or a bear, or a wolf, or a human being for that matter. If you make a real connection, there's simply beauty, and magic, and love, and wonder, and so I decided I had to do something about it, so I founded Earthfire Institute. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that trying to get in? That's a doggie, and I usually lock the door, I mean, the door is usually open, and they slam it open and come in, and I try to keep it quiet for you, but I guess I'm going to have to let him in.
1: <laughs> do you want
0: to take a pause and let him in? I'll pause the recording. Otherwise, otherwise he won't give, it, give it in give okay. up
1: we're back so you founded earth fire with the first wolf named earth fire and at that time what was your vision for earth fire institute
0: it's fundamentally always the same to help help connect people with the incredible wonder and beauty and richness that's around us for everybody's sake um, a lot of people say they like animals better than humans. And that's, I think that's a mistake. Um, a friend of mine said, actually, we humans need love the most. <laughs> we're the most that's troubled.
1: True. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but it's really, if we're going to make a fundamental change, we have to love everything. And that includes all life and that includes humans. So, but... So I really enjoy being a psychologist. I love it, but it's secondary for me. I did it for many years, but secondary. This is a total passion. And, and it's because of who the animals
1: are. It's, I'm
0: sorry, say that again? It's because who the animals are. You can't get to know, an, I think everyone knows this because they feel it with their own dog or cat or bird or whatever it is. The, the bond and the incredibleness And the magic, as you go into connection with any individual being, your particular dog, your particular cat, you see the beauty, you see the charm, you see everything. It's the same. It's the same with anything that you bond with. Almost like love helps us see the magic.
1: Mm, That's beautiful. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, Carl von Frisch, who was the person who discovered that the waggle dance of bumblebees was actually information and communication. But he said that each species, um, I don't know, provides us with all or nearly all of the mysteries of life. If we look into one species, we're going to yeah. find all of the mysteries of life. And what yeah. I hear you saying is when we look into one individual, we, when we really truly connect, we're confronted with the, all of the magic. Of life, yeah. So. I wouldn't use the word "confronted." I would say "drawn into." Yeah, that's a better word. Confronted is probably not what he said either. <laughs> <So>. But yeah, <laughs> presented yes, exactly. with <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. So opening ourselves up to that connection can then open us up to more connection and yeah. and more effective way of being in the world. It sounds like
0: yes. It's, it's like the animals, uh, animals are easier for us than plants or something else, for a lot of people, for some people it's plants or trees, but they serve as a portal into beginning to expand our awareness of what's around us and the magic that's around us. So if you fall in love with one bear or one wolf, just like if you fall in love with one dog or cat, you can't feel the same about cats after that or dogs after that or bears or wolves. So it starts expanding that awareness. And then you begin to realize, oh, wait a minute. So some of the healing stories, the same thing, wait a minute, it worked on a wolf. Wait a minute, same thing worked on a cougar. Wait a minute, same thing worked on a buffalo. It's You get drawn into um, an awareness, a visceral awareness of how connected we are, rather than just the words of it. You, you feel it, you see it. And there can't be a richer life than that. And I just want to share it. So, how do you share it? As best I can. (laughs) Um, I found it out there. Yeah. And we we have retreats, they're not too many, um, through writings, uh, speaking, uh, the website, uh, film, small films that we make, as best I can. I can't have billions of people here. So, I have to reach out as best. and make the the writing and the videos and the teaching as vivid as as
1: possible. So I'm bringing the animals with me to the extent I can. And sharing that experience with your reader or your viewer in such a way that they get that feeling inside themselves. Yes.
0: Yeah, one basic thing of communication is you have to be feeling it yourself if you're going to convey it. And for me it's really easy to feel it. (laughs) Being in love all the time with all of them is really easy to feel it and, then, and connect, commune with it and share it.
1: Oh, so beautiful. So you, um, you live in this feeling, it sounds like. Yeah. And, and one of your passions is reconciling the perceived distinction between understanding animals from a scientific point of view and really seeing them as spiritual beings can you explain how, how, you know, those two things aren't mutually exclusive?
0: <laughs> it's a, a huge failing of our Western civilization that we put things into boxes. And that's how we're trained to see. And when you fly over the United States, you see that the land divided into boxes, state lines. Um, and we talk about, you go to a heart doctor or a stomach doctors they're not connected and people say you're a biologist and a psychologist you mean they're not connected (laughs) um there are different ways of using our brain different brain patterns different brain waves nothing is mutually exclusive if we think it's mutually exclusive we're already lost we already left out a huge amount of information that's useful so you can you can try to understand something scientifically, but that doesn't mean you have to do it without the sense of magic behind you or wonder. That's what, that's what we take out. And somehow we need to be able to combine clear thinking and clear and accurate observation, trying to keep our emotions out of distorting things, which is really important, with the clear reception and knowledge that there's something more than the scientific way of being. Mm. So somehow we need to find a way to, what we've done is we either go to, the, we meditate and go to those brain waves, brain patterns, or we do science, and has to be hard and cold and rigid and bad science. There is such a thing as good science. <laughs> um, uh, bad science is um, saying you have to be my mind saying you have to look at animals as objects. And I get trouble all the time. And how dare you call that wolf anything other than the number we've given it, three, two, six, or whatever it is. You're anthropomorphizing. It's such a deadly mistake that in terms of the split. So then you get um, people who are over-emotionally involved with animals and don't look at them who they are, truly, which is full-blooded beings just like us. Fundamentally, they hate, they love. They, they play, they're mischievous, they're jealous, they're greedy, um, they're wonderful, they're spiritual, they're biological. They're beings, and they love being seen as beings. They actually don't, our animals here actually don't love people who want to come just with the spiritual element. They, they kind of want to nip them. because <laughs> they, they want to bring them down to earth like this isn't real. Um, And then they're a little afraid of people who might come with a very hardcore science and looking at them as objects. They're either afraid or a couple of animals really don't like it. They have temper tantrums if they're looked at that way. So they're they're full-bodied beings, and you can look at them from a scientific lens, meaning accurate measuring as best we can. Or you can look at them from a spiritual lens, which is trying to feel who they really are and connect who they really are at an entirely different level. Some of the healing stories I have um, can only be explained that way. But this is the same being. The, the, The divisions are in our head, not in life. Life is very moved back and forth between all of them. One of my hopes is that somehow we're going to learn to take those different patterns and integrate them. So it's not one or the other. And um, I was talking about that with someone like, how do we do that? But we don't know how to really do that yet. The closest really is um, Buddhism, not the religion, but the, the method of um, mindfulness, which is now becoming too much of a word, um, but truly beginning to awaken so that we are using our whole brain, left and right, back and front, top and bottom, middle, outside, all of it integrated. And that's very rare. I think we, most of us are lucky enough to maybe have a few moments of that in our life, a glimpse, and yearn for it again. But I think we need to try to find a way to help each other get there. Hmm. And it's not current civilization, and it's not current education. We're gonna to have to find our way ourselves and in small groups and support one another, and, and get it out that this, this is a new way of being, which is what we need. And when we're doing that, we're also connecting with all life. You can't connect with all life from a hardcore science point of view because you're looking at them as things. And you can't really make excellent decisions just from a spiritual point of view because you've got to come down to earth and do some practical things. Though it's imbued, in my mind, from a spiritual perspective and with spirituality, but then you come to real practicality. Okay, what do we do now? But not in a narrow way. So... It's a big challenge. I I think we're I think our potential is to be up to it. I don't know if we're gonna do it.
1: <laughs> would it be possible to like string together enough experiences of that communion and connection with another life form that would eventually help us as a species to to have that whole brain experience? I think dogs Do
0: and be little ones: done. If I understand your question, I think dogs and cats have begun that process for us.
1: Yeah so we we have that experience with our dogs and our cats, and we have that whole brain experience where we see them as these whole complete beings that are the spiritual and the physical combined woven together and so then what we need to expand that to other animals as well and trees
0: (laughs) to all life yeah another thing that helps with that is a tremendous explosion now of books and studies on the intelligence that's everywhere the intelligence of an octopus and the fact that their consciousness isn't in a brain Mm -hmm. spread out throughout the whole body Um, so we're beginning to think of consciousness differently and that's really helpful or that crows and magpies can outperform chimpanzees in certain tasks. Tiny little brain, how is that possible? One of my favorites is a slime mold that, that is just this oozing little mass on the ground. Um, and it's exactly what I said, it's a slimy moldy kind of thing, can outperform a computer. <laughs> There's no brain at all. And that's hard science. This is where science is wonderful, um, doing, doing the tests um, to show the, the seeking behavior of the, of the amoeba-like slime mold and how it finds its way as efficiently or more efficiently than a computer to certain sources. So it actually um, outperforms the, the layout of the transportation system of Tokyo. What? <laughs> I have a blog about that, and there's a lot of research on it people are just fascinated with it. So we're beginning to understand that consciousness is everywhere and it's not located in the brain, that intelligence is everywhere, that most likely a lot of leading thinkers say that intelligence is a property of the universe and that consciousness is a property of the universe. And there's a brilliant physicist called Federico Fagin who suggests that consciousness came first, even before anything electromagnetic radiation, space, time. And they're all basically quantum fields, small quantum fields within larger quantum fields. So that's theoretical, and that's science, and that's our using our incredible abstract brains for reaching for the stars and trying to understand things. And then there's the rest of it, the the deep visceral connection with other life, And ideally, we don't go off into Never Never Land, into abstract worlds. And and we never stay so grounded that we don't allow ourselves to fly. It's an interesting balance. And some really interesting um, speakers and and thinkers have said, we're, we're not fully human yet. We haven't gotten there yet. I'm not sure if they know what it meant, but they said we're in between. We're no longer fully animal, and we're not yet fully human. One part of my interpretation of that is a sense of decency, ethics, um, honor, compassion, the best of what we could be, and sometimes are. I went to a conference where, uh, just recently, I Spoke at the Sun Valley Forum where were the kids who were suing the government for clean air. They started them were like 12 years old. Incredibly powerful, articulate, brave. It just made you feel like, and then you, and then there are these incredible artists were tuned into into the beauty that's around. You know, I hope we make it. We've got so much to offer.
1: Do you think that we're on the edge of a paradigm shift where people will, yeah. as a whole, begin to get that awareness and consciousness is not um, a solely human trait? Yeah.
0: What There's you- enough evidence now. It's spreading into the general, not fast enough, but into the general awareness.
1: And and that's kind of that trickle down. that that science can do it can find these things out for us and then disseminate it to you know the the masses the regular people however we want to think about it and so giving us that information can be helpful but again I feel like part of what you're saying is the information is just information unless we have that experience in our body it doesn't have as much meaning would that be accurate it's not even useful can even be dangerous unless you combine it with our heart
0: and an embodied wisdom. But it is a uniquely human characteristic that's quite wonderful to be able to to try to understand the universe. In some ways, you can think of being human is um, the universe trying to understand itself.
1: <laughs> I love that. I love that because we're not separate from the universe; we're a part of it, right? Well,
0: there isn't a molecule in our body that didn't come from the universe, not an atom. And we'll go back to the universe.
1: So we've been living for centuries in these false dichotomies. And, you know, I think um, Descartes was, you know, (laughs) the big voice for that, right? And kind of pulled the wool over everybody's eyes for many centuries that things either are, are or aren't it's one or the other that there's this duality and and what i hear you saying is well obviously that's not accurate and that there's um, a quantum holistic I, I i don't know that i even have the right word for the um the holisticness of the universe and our place inside of it as connected to it so I'm, I'm feeling like we need a new word to describe <laughs> what you're, to, to kind of um, name what you're describing of this holistic experience in our bodies of that whole brain connectedness and that, that experience whole brain
0: and body, That's Sorry, whole, brain. whole brain and body,
1: whole brain and body.
0: If we think whole brain, then we left out the body. It's a whole and incredible wisdom comes up from our bodies. And all the individual intelligences that are in our bodies, all the millions and trillions of microbes in our body, all of whom have their own form of intelligence. And, and, but they're coordinated in some incredibly miraculous way, this tremendous wisdom. So we have to be really careful about the words we use because they actually shape how we think. So if we say, oh, mind, wait a minute, <laughs> that's up here. What about the rest of it? and when we say the earth what do you mean the earth as if it's out there or if you use the word nature um i think i want to help nature go out into nature the whole idea is that we're going we are going out into something else as opposed to us being an integral part of it it's a radical kind of shift And what made me think of that is you're saying we have to find other ways of saying it other than we have to save the earth, we have to save nature, nature saves us. It's, it's an absurdity. But I don't know how to express, I haven't figured out yet, maybe some of your listeners can, or feel free to call you or me or whatever with their ideas of how how do we change the language to express the truth of what you're saying?
1: Yes, I love that. How do we express the truth of what we're saying? How do we find the words mm-hmm. that, that capture and convey the, the holistic nature of consciousness and connection that is inseparable, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. many of us have the illusion of separation. And I think that's exactly what you're getting at is I, what um, a lot of my friends in Africa call the great separation sickness. The idea that we're somehow separate from nature, from earth, from universe, from consciousness, that there's these compartments that, like you said at yeah. the beginning.
0: don't know what it is. Uh, a lot of great thinkers, Charles Eisenstein talks about it. He's a great thinker. Um, I think there's some biological element to it. Our brains have got, are so complex now that we, we haven't learned how to manage them properly. I think maybe that's part of our not becoming fully human yet. I think that grows so fast that it's not integrated properly uh, or to function really as a whole. We have to really work at it. We've got to develop our consciousness to begin to integrate our own brain, which is where mindfulness and, you know, helps develop the forebrain there. And so become more alert and aware rather than just reacting. So some degree I think is purely biological incredibly brilliant, brilliant thing that we have up there and we don't know how to manage it <laughs> uh, it makes and sense it, when
1: it, you say it like that
0: <laughs> and the consequences to our not managing it all kinds of societal and environmental consequences because it's not integrated with our emotions properly it's still a bit of a mess and our job to the extent we can do it and do it in time is to start making it More more coherent and and connected with what's, what's true and loving and eternal. And good. And those words all have to be explained. We don't have time to do that. What does good mean? Etc. But we we all do have a sense of what it is. So how do we do that? Is a really interesting question. So I think there's a biological element to the whole issue. Um, I think there's a spiritual element to it. And how do we develop ourselves, and how did we come to be born into this incredible state of being human? Well, even more, the incredible state of being alive. Wonderful mysteries.
1: Yeah. Do you have a vision for the future, for humanity, for... The life force, <laughs> the consciousness—I can't even use the words now because <laughs> they're too limiting and too separating. Yeah,
0: yeah. On a more physical level, I have a vision. So, life needs to flow. A lot of our diseases in our body are because of blocked energy. Um, we divide the the earth up, and we cut it into pieces. Life needs to flow. And so if we develop wildlife corridors through which genes can flow over space and time way beyond our lives, and animals as carrier of the genes, um, and animals as beings, and animals as spiritual beings, but right now I'm talking about the biological element. One vision is to have wildlife corridors flowing and interwoven throughout all the continents so the animals can move up freely And we can interact with them while leaving them space and not chopping everything up and taking everything away from them so that we can live in harmony. There's there's always going to be some strife because that's the nature of life as was given to us. Um, Animals kill other animals. Um, Even if we're vegan, we're still killing life in order to eat. So there's always that element of conflict unless you sort of transform it into a more, It's a whole other discussion um, that you honor whatever life it is that you're eating. And it gets transformed into you and you live the best possible life you can to honor it, etc. But we were given that. We have no choice over that. Um, So how do we we manage all that? So one vision is um, to have the wildlife corridors. Another one is for us to begin to live, feeling the magic. You know, right outside my uh, my window here is a willow tree. Is a tree, right? But it's also a living being. And if I I swear that if I tell it it's beautiful, it begins to glow. I think that's what happens when we connect. If you see a mother with a child, an infant, there's a glow between the two of them. We had a little deer here who had only three legs. He was hit by a car uh, and both bro- legs were broken and he still had his umbilical cord attached. His mother was dead somewhere. Someone picked him up. And uh, a lovely woman who was an emergency nurse in and- tried to heal him, but he lost a leg, and she realized she couldn't keep him, so she gave him to us. And that exquisite creature was just a deer, right? But it wasn't, because nothing was just a. Um, That exquisite creature only knew humans. And when people would come to visit, I would swear, I wish there were a way to have physically measured it, that he would begin to glow And then the visitors would begin to glow, and people couldn't tear themselves away. And my thinking was, I wonder if that's what it's like to live in a herd. That he was sending out his herd heart to humans who were his herd. And so a vision would be for us to be able to live in connection with all life at that level.
1: I love that i'm I'm kind of wallowing in that for a minute.
0: <laughs> well, I, I wallow in it every time I talk about it.
1: <laughs> yeah the the whole concept of that herd heart, I love that and and that that feels so so visceral and real and true. You know what I mean? Like, like, wow, yeah, I never thought about it like that, but, yeah, what would that be like to live in a herd with that heart glowing and everybody? all, you know, more interconnected than than the biology of humans, right? Like, because we tend to be in smaller social groups rather than the big 200 wildebeest on the African plains or whatever. That That's an intriguing question to me. What would that be like?
0: And then, if we walk into a forest, having, being modest, and... and entering as, uh, I don't want to say a visitor or a guest, because that's not right. Um, If we walk in a forest in the right way, and I have to figure out how to explain that, uh, but just for now the right way, I personally believe the forest welcomes us, that it likes us there, that it wants us there, that it enjoys our companionship just as we enjoy it. Why do we like forests? There's a sense of, of companionship, actually, and and healing, and so it's a deer, it's a forest, and there's a a sense of humming um, back and forth. Once a connection is made, then this beautiful back and forth flow goes that in that supports and um, that's just supports and encourages that energizes each of us it's like a variation of fertilization mm. that happens and so it's, I'm saying it's not just a deer it's everywhere it's easier for us with an animal but I think it's everywhere that we could live in that kind of a way within that frame of reference there's re, what we will call reality um, we have to eat we need to take certain forms of life for our own life form even if it's not just even if um, cutting down a tree because we want the wood. We have to balance all that, but that's the frame of reference. So that within that frame of reference, we do nothing mindless, we do nothing wasteful. We, it's very different if you take a life mindlessly or with care, somehow it's very, very different. They say, you know, people with PTSD, if you have PTSD from a flood or a uh, landslide or an earthquake, very different from PTSD cruelty visited upon us by another human. Very different. And I think that's true for all life. If we're caring and careful about what we take and how we take, also we'll take less, take more carefully, we'll do less damage to the environment, then we wouldn't even have environmental problems. Because that's basically that lack of connection. What you talked about, separation, that lack of connection means lack of care. Caring comes from connection. Disconnection means no care. Then you can do anything. And then you get all these lovely consequences we're living with.
1: Right. Right. Well, very
0: well said. Daring to care. Yeah. About everything. About everything. About every living thing, yes.
1: Yeah. Susan, do you have any final words of wisdom that you want to share with our viewers?
0: We're in this together. It's an incredible, magical world. And it's up to us at this point. I guess my biggest concern is that we don't pull it together enough. We get so lost in ourselves or our worry or our fear or the ridiculous media and all that politics that we don't go to our best selves and become what we could become. And that each of us has incredible power. Each of us. I don't care if you're a little old housewife or president or whatever it is. As humans, each of us can be a nexus for change in our own unique way with our own unique um, skills and that way we're being ourselves, we're fulfilling our destiny, and we're helping what's going to be. And that it's not okay to hide in fear, it's not okay to get lost in all this other stuff. The times and other life is asking us to step up to be our best, most powerful selves. And any way we can do it ourselves, and any way we can support each other. I guess that would be my, my
1: words. Those are words to live by. Dr. Susan Eirich, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. I'm so grateful to have you as part of the Animal Wisdom World Summit.
0: My pleasure. This is Dr. Susan Eirich for Earthfire Radio a production of Earthfire Institute. If you would like to help with our mission to change how people see and therefore treat wildlife and nature, please make a donation at our website, www.earthfireinstitute.org. The Soundscapes are by Wild Sanctuary Presents, Bernie Krauss and Philip Ahberg. Thank you for listening.